Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. What I'd like to do for startup options is uh, to offer new employees uh, non-qualified stock options. Hey, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each and every week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn what are non-qualified stock options and why you may want to offer it to your early employees, how to properly and quickly let go an employee, and how to overcome the challenges of selling a $500 plus product. Today, I'm joined by Brian Brosh from PRX Performance. PRX Performance is a pioneer in space-saving fitness equipment. It was started in 2013 and based out of Fargo, North Dakota. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Felix. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's excited to have you on. So tell us about some of your most popular products that you sell. So our most popular products on PRX, you know, we essentially invented um, a complete CrossFit gym system that goes into your garage, basement, or corporate facility that uh, folds up against the wall when you're not using it. We're kind of the Murphy bed of fitness equipment. Yeah, definitely um, seems super useful for anyone that doesn't have much space and wants to have a full workout, get a full workout in. Now, where did this idea come from? What's your background? How did you get into this industry? You bet. Um, I, I've got a pretty diverse background between sales. I was a CPA. I own a manufacturing company. And uh, my partner and I were CrossFitters, and we were at an event, and uh, we saw some equipment failing during the competition, and we're like, hey, we can make stuff better than that. So we did. Now, how did you come with that idea? Did you have experience creating products that could be better than what you saw? Um, Yeah, essentially. had a great team, uh, strong engineers, and... Uh, my partner and I just had a different vision for, you know, what it could be. And, mm-hmm. you know, at this time, uh, products were expensive. They were slow to deliver and the quality wasn't great. So, you know, you look for uh, uh, speed, quality and price. And we figured we could improve on at least two of those. And that's all you need to break into a market. Mm, that makes sense. Now, you mentioned that you had a partner, you had a team. Did you already have all of this in place from an existing business that you uh, focused on PRX, or was this something that you built a team around, built team to, to, to take on? Yeah, we, I mean, uh, from, I owned uh, multiple businesses at the time, but, you know, what I like to do is step back and look at the best people. And so what we did is my partner and I put in cash. And then what I'd like to do for startup options is uh, to offer new employees uh, non-qualified stock options. So what that means is um, I can give them stock instead of cash, and it's a great way to essentially start a business, and then people have a greater upside in the future. So they're you know part of the team out of the gate, and uh, we can serve cash. That makes sense. Now, to create a company or create a business like this, for anyone out there that doesn't have the background that you have, sound like you have background in, in creating businesses like this, what, what's involved? Like, how do you even begin to create a company that offers non-qualified stock options to build a team? First, I guess I have a saying that you know, before you buy a house, you should buy a business. And a lot of people, you're right, they probably have expertise in one area, maybe sales, maybe marketing, maybe operations, you know, they may be an engineer, whatever it is, um, you know, just to go out and find some other partners and you know, if you don't have that capital, uh, you know, you can inject uh, sweat equity and get something like the non-qualified stock options, or it's a way to get ownership in a business to kind of get started. So, 
you know, let's not try to boil the ocean. Let's, you know, get started with a small percentage and then learn the rest of the aspects of the business. Uh, you know, one of my backgrounds is I'm a CPA, so it really helps to know the financials inside and out. And hey, if you don't have that background, go buy some books on it, read, learn. And it's just about creating a community. And if you have that community, just go out there and look for the next idea. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I put a partner together and issued the non-qualified stock options, brought the dream team together and went from there. Got it. Now, do you need to, for someone that doesn't have experience here, is this something that you can, are you, is it possible just to create non-qualified stock options yourself? Do you need to involve a lawyer? What, what's involved? Yeah, I worked with a law firm um, out of uh, actually Oregon, and uh, I had never done that before. I had a friend who did it and worked very well for them. So, you know, like anything in life, it's a learning experience. We just went for it and uh, I'm trying to think the actual documentation was somewhere around $1,500. And once that was done, um, it was a matter of just kind of getting everybody together. And we offered everybody cash too, but I think we had about 12 people uh, help us out of the gate and they all said, no, I want the options. And, uh, and a few have already cashed out and there's quite a few that are holding knowing that, you know, we're in this explosive mm-hmm. growth and it'll, I'll look forward to writing those checks someday, uh, <laughs> when, uh, when they're ready to leave. Nice. So are there other kinds of stock options that business owners can consider or is this, did you, obviously you, you picked the one that made the most sense for your business, but are there others that, that can make sense as well? Yeah, uh, there's NSOs and ISOs. I'm not, believe me, I'm not an attorney, so I'll just give that quick uh, qualification. Non-qualified stock options are applicable when you're not going to hire the person. So you can have an external consultant just come in, do the work. Uh, you give them scope, say, hey, in the next year, I want you to do this. Your options vest over four years. And, uh, you know, it's really all there is to it. The ISOs are for existing employees. So that's a little bit more advanced and uh, different you know, they're going to be paying tax rates at a different rate. And it's it's a lot more involved. And, of course, an attorney could take you through it. But, you know, if you're a young entrepreneur and you need a lot of help, uh, NSOs are, are not a bad way to go. Mm-hmm. So now that you had this business set up, you had a way to compensate uh, future employees for, for joining the business. Where did you go out and find the staff? You know, you never, that's kind of the last thing you do. You work your tail off, you know, 20 hours a day until you just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've got nothing left in you until you can finally think you afford someone. And after four years, uh, I mean, my partner and I, I we're at the point now where we can finally start taking a paycheck. So mm-hmm. um, you just work and then you find the best people out there. And if you create a great culture and a, a great environment, and uh, people that have the vision of where you want to go, um, it's uh, it's just that's an important. I always consider the culture as well as your as your hiring. So, but I think we had one or two employees the first uh, year, and then going into two years, I think we had three. So we started very slowly. Mm. Now, culture and environment; these are intangibles, right? That that make a big difference in attracting the best kind of talent that you can't always just pay outright money for. What is the what is the the approach that you take to making sure that you have a company that has a great culture and has a great work environment? Yeah, it it, it just comes down to people, and you know they say uh, hire slow and fire fast, and every single person in my company is just amazing. Um, we you know once you get a few good people in there, and you start to create some new fun work areas, and you know create a big beanbag area, and hey, this is where we think. Go ahead and 
you know, just support them in whatever their ideas are and enable them to make decisions on their own and, you know, just some key uh, management styles. Um, also, our recruiting, I think we do something that a lot of other people don't is that we recruit, we always start at our local CrossFit gyms. And I know this isn't right for every business, but you start off by getting people who are dedicated, not afraid to work their tails off. Um, you know, they always have, and CrossFitters, they're into nutrition, they're into health and fitness and mm-hmm. growing personally and professionally. So that's where we start. We haven't hired every single person from a CrossFit, but uh, it's a great place to start for uh, to find a new employees. Got it. So do you look for, like you said, not everyone is, is, uh, is from a CrossFit gym that you hire, but do you typically look for people that are already potential customers, people that are already possibly using or would be using a product like yours? Absolutely. Because then they become passionate about it and they know, you know, what's important to them is going to be important to our customers. And that transcends through everyone we deal with. And that's important. Right. That makes sense. Uh, now, you mentioned that hire, hire slowly and fire fast. Based on what you've seen, I think well, well, before, I, before I go there, it seems like this is one of the biggest issues for companies that are growing fast is that they have people that aren't a great fit or maybe don't have the proper skills and leave them on business for too long because they don't want to go there to exercise or that act of firing somebody. How do you know when you should fire somebody? How do you what, what do you evaluate? I mean, typically the writing's on the wall. Uh, first thing is you should never fire someone unless they don't already know it's coming. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't truly coached someone, because um, as the business grows, new opportunities, and it's so much fun to give people new opportunities and new opportunities to growth. But if someone's there and they're stagnant and they don't like maybe where the company's going or they don't feel comfortable growing with the company or they don't like change, then, you know, it's an opportunity to, I've always heard the term, promote them outside the company. Um, but, you know, at first you got to sit down and say, hey, you know, we, you have more opportunities. You probably have to work a little harder or you have to take some classes. Um, are you willing to do that? Because this is what we need to keep this, you know, or fill this new position or this new position that, you know, your position is growing into. So as long as they know and they've had the chance uh, and they've been, you know, consoled and, and that's uh, that's the important part is to always be working with them closely. Mm. Now, earlier you, you mentioned three factors that that you can compete in. I think you, it was a speed, quality, and price. Were those the three? Correct. Better, faster, cheaper. Got it. Now, how did you decide which ones to to focus on first? Well, typically, when you come into a market, and you know, on a side note, I'm actually, um, you know, when you look at the businesses the better, faster, cheaper. Hopefully you think you can hit all three because I guarantee you're going to forget about something or you're not prepared for anything, no matter how much planning and something's going to miss. And you have to have two if you're going to be successful. So shoot for all three. And you know what? If you get all three, then raise your price because if you have quality, then you should be charging people for it. Mm, that makes sense. So do you try to hit all three right from the get-go? Do you f- try to focus your attention on one of the three at first? Like, What's your approach? Hit all three. And then, like I say, if you hit them, then raise your price. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's never easy to raise your price after it comes out, especially now with the internet. We had people on Black Friday complaining that we had higher prices than last Black Friday. And Hey, we lost money last year and uh, we're not this year. It's because mm-hmm. we're a quality product and we raised our prices. So, uh, you know, you, you always, you don't make everybody happy, but 
um, you know, when you're, you know, the goal is to always hit five stars on every review. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got about 400 reviews now and we're in the high four stars. And I mean, then, you know, you're doing something right and you got to hit your base margins to make sure you succeed. Right. So, so better makes sense. Cheaper makes sense. What does it mean to, to be faster? Is it shipping? What, What does faster mean? You know, faster is the entire customer experience. Mm -hmm. Um, It's anywhere from uh, how fast you respond to them on social media, how fast you can answer the phone and get back to them and help them place the order, uh, how fast you can ship. And then, you know, what's your next follow up step? So it's it's the whole customer uh, cycle and experience. Got it. Now, now, if a business owner wants to focus on that that uh, that factor and and improve the the speed in, in which they engage with their customers, where, where 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 would you recommend most business owners focus first? Is it in the, the initial customer service? Is it like where along the experience do you think that uh, there is the most to be gained? Yeah, absolutely, uh, customer service. Because when you start a business, they say you should talk to about two hundred people before you release a product. Hey, what do you think of this? Um, would you use this? What's the competition? Um, you know, and then here's what we have against them. Do you agree with that? Would you pay this price point? And then even though you think it's the best thing in the world, your customer and your prospects need to think that. So once you listen to them, talk to them, I mean, go to trade shows um, and the owners need to be out there doing that piece of it so they can fine tune it and get it right as fast as possible. Got it. Okay, now going to the other two factors, better and cheaper. I'm assuming this comes down to the technology, the manufacturing, the distribution. How did you begin going down this path? Did you did you design it first? Did you figure out the distribution first? Or what was the first steps towards improving these two factors? Well, because I had a background in manufacturing, we started with the design. Uh, I had a friend who said, hey, I'm opening a CrossFit gym. Can you um, make me uh, a rig? And, you know, which is like uh, 12 feet tall, 44 feet long. And from that lunch in about eight weeks, we delivered um, a completely functional and I still think one of the better uh, rigs out today. Um, it's so well built and so heavy duty. And I, and they had so many other features on it that people still need to offer today. But it cost me about $3,000 to ship. And now people can buy systems from China for 3000 bucks. So we kind of had to move away from that. But the first thing was the design. Make it, you know, make it right. And kind of a side note, the product that actually launched our business, um, literally tomorrow, I believe, so this is four and a half years ago, I'm going to be getting, I think, my final version of it tomorrow in, in overnight mail. It's a, it's a strap slap collar called the Talon. It holds on barbells. You know, I don't know if you remember the old watches, the swatch watches that slap mm-hmm. around your, yeah. your wrist. That in a barbell collar with magnets on the end. So it's about a second on, a second off. Nice. And I've been, it's, I, you know, I, I know steel. I don't know where to get these metals, magnets, over molding. And now I know all that stuff, but it's taken me four and a half years to get there. Wow. Definitely uh, a long work in progress then, but it sounded like your your initial versions at least were were ready to to not necessarily to ship, but ready to for people to use right away. So when you designed these initial versions, what were the next steps towards manufacturing? Did you already because of your experience, did you already have manufacturers ready to to help out, or what what was next? Oh, I owned all the uh, laser cutting, robotic equipment, you know, et cetera. Um, and you know, to keep things arm's length with my existing business, I had other partners. I, 
know, contracted with them and saying, hey, I want to make this stuff here. You guys, how many points do you need to make? So, I mean, we were off the ground running. I could walk out there every day and see how it was going. And, uh, and it, you know, it just kind of really grew from there. So we had a local manufacturing and, uh, and then, you know, comes the branding and the naming and all that fun stuff. Mm, okay, so design and manufacturing was not an issue, apparently, Correct. based on what you're saying. Yep. Nope. But now you have the product ready to be made. You have product that could be produced quickly enough. Now, what was the the steps that you had to take to actually get attention, right? Get people to recognize or to realize that there is this product out there that you are trying to compete with that's better, faster, and, and cheaper. You bet. Well, um, there's no substitute. You got to do the road show. You got to get out there. You got to meet with your prospects. And after you kind of know who you are and what you're building, I mean, then you just try and sell them, you know, work with them. I mean, we lost a lot of money the first few years, but we figured out what people wanted. And you know, think about it. We started with a slap strap collar. We then moved on to full rigs. And then now what we're doing in the space saving niche is completely different than from what our vision was initially. So, you know, as you grow within a market and, and by the way, too, uh, not to go on a tangent, but if I'm a new entrepreneur, I want to look for a growing market. I mean, something at the time like CrossFit, it was growing so fast. And when there's new technology, new trends, if you can jump on board with that and be quick and agile, uh, you know, the bigger guys, the older guys, they can't do that. So you got to just, um, so that was a big piece of it to get our name out there is just make a mark and get on the road and shake hands and get our uh, products out there for testing. Yes, certainly being able to, to ride those, those waves and be able to recognize those waves are, are key aspects to getting a head start in, in starting a business. Now, when you, based on your experience, is this mostly a gut feel or only a gut feeling on what's a growing industry or are there tools or data that you can work off of to, to determine if it's an industry that's, that's new and, and, and ready to, to, to explode? It was all gut feel for me. And are there tools and research? Absolutely. And I mean, you can go to the SBA and get some. You can go down to your library. You can do a lot of research. Um, if you want to save money, if you don't have much cash, don't just go on gut and talking to prospects. Actually do that market research. But I typically never take that step. So I just take a look at, you know, what do we have for competition? What are they charging? What are their differentiators? You know, what do I, what can I make it for? And, uh, you know, if the numbers start to work, then it's like, all right, how do we build a brand and how do we go to market? Got it. Now, you mentioned uh, doing uh, doing the, that road show. Was this simply like going to gyms? Like, what, 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 what were you actually, when you're going to the to reach out to your customers, where were you meeting them? We uh, went to events, competitions. Uh, we actually built a rig uh, that we could take and people could use at competitions. So we'd show up there and um, they'd give us a free booth. So it was a lot of late nights and U-Haul rental trucks and, you know, loading everything up and getting there and unloading everything. And, you know, we work with steel. So at points we'd have multiple tons worth of equipment we're lugging around. Um, but, uh, you know, that's how you get in front of everybody, learn, grow, get some sales, uh, build a reputation. And, you know, if I can emphasize one thing, don't start too fast. Make sure your product is very mature. And that you're going to get five stars every time somebody gives that rating. Don't, you know, don't uh, take care of the customer right out of the gate. And if you have to lose money on a sale, but keep a customer happy, do it. Mm. And 
once you have a had a, once you had this product ready to go, I want to talk about distribution because you're selling products. I'm looking here; right? they've got to be, I'm sure they're not as, as heavy as what you're competitive, what you're competing against. But they're still pretty heavy. They're pretty large things to ship. How do you you package and, and ship products like this? Well, when we were packaging our rigs, you know, we were building from scratch, 13 foot pallets, and you know, covering it and protecting it every way we could and stuff always gets damaged in shipments. So, you know, it's a learning experience. And we used to do everything LTL or in other words, less than truck weight, uh, truck, truck load. So on, you know, large semis and, you know, now we use FedEx. Um, I mean, we're shipping hundreds of orders a day and FedEx is shipping and sending multiple, uh, trucks to our door every day. So it's, uh, <laughs> we've really changed mm-hmm. the way we ship. And what, what kind of unique challenges do you run into when, when the products that you are selling are, you know, large and heavy? Oof. Um, I guess my background in automotive, uh, I'm kind of used to shipping that stuff. Yeah. I mean, just your typical packaging, lifting, having the right equipment, forklifts, safety training. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, the nice thing is they typically rarely run off once you leave them on a customer's doorstep because people are expecting right. to grab a quick box. <laughs> so, uh, it's pretty rare that our stuff, uh, you know, we'll get our charge backs, but it's not, it's less than 1%. So no. it's, it's not a huge deal. You know, that's really it. Other than we used to ship full gyms to places and we'd say, all right, make sure there's 10 people there when it shows up and we'd be very careful and coordinate with the trucking companies. But yeah, it's just about that customer service where they're heavy or light, just making sure the customer's expectations are met and nothing kind of weird happens along the way. Mm-hmm. Any lessons learned or any tips on how you can decrease costs when you are shipping? I mean, it, there's UPS and there's FedEx and you definitely want to meet with both and, and try to negotiate, you know, you know, the best rates are possible. Always taking a look at how many days it takes to get there. And what I've noticed too, is they typically don't make you sign a contract, which is good or a basic contract. It doesn't totally lock you in, but it helps guarantee discounts. Um, but uh, some LTL guys love to lock you into contracts and I just refuse to sign an LTL contract, uh, for the bigger deals. It just never makes sense. There's so many companies out there, um, willing to give you great rates if you look hard enough. Right. It's something that's often overlooked when you can negotiate uh, shipping. It can obviously increase your margins and, and change your business if you are doing it correctly. Ben, based on your experience, what's what's negotiable when you approach a, uh, a carrier, whether it be um, UPS or FedEx? What, what can you, what, what kind of ground do you think can you, can you gain through negotiations? Well, it's a chicken or the egg. I mean, they... You want the best rate and they want volume. Mm-hmm. And so you just need to have a relationship about, hey, this is our vision. This is where we're growing. Um, you know, start me off a little deeper than you would, you know, someone with this volume and, you know, let's grow together. And, uh, you know, when they, you know, the one that's going to work with you is, you know, it makes a great partner for long term. So, I mean, that's really the best of it. I mean, even like USPS, I mean, they're, when our new barbell collar is coming out, we're going to try to get that shipping price under three bucks. And I think with USPS, we can. So now we've got some LTL coming in. We're going to have FedEx and we're going to have some USPS going, um, you know, the same day. Oh, very cool. Now, another factor in your business that might be different than others is the the price point. You're you're selling uh, products that are you know higher, uh, pretty high price point for what you would typically buy online. What is uh, what is the sales cycle like for a a, a product that's priced? You know, I'm looking here just at the, what's on the front page. You know, five hundred dollars, six hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars. 
The, you know, a typical uh, sales cycle for that, I mean, we have some people that buy, you know, on the spot, but I would say the average person is somewhere around a couple of weeks. Uh, we had people that waited a year, literally since last Black Friday, just to see what our deal was this year. Mm. So, you know, the issue is, um, you know, after 30 days, you're going to lose the pixel. You're not going to have all mm-hmm. the tracking data. And you, you can't really run your conversion rates. So, um you know, it's the more expensive, the longer the sales cycle. I think that's just standard. But adding things like financing uh, allows it to make it a little bit more palatable for people. You know, break it down into 12-month payments or 36-month payments. We work with a company called Bread. Uh, they provide all of our financing, and, like, we're running a 0% promotion rate right now. And it's uh, for 12 months, and it's uh, it's been a great tool for us. That's, uh, you know, almost 20% of our business. Yeah, I noticed that you have zero percent APR financing on on mm-hmm. on the header on on your page, and you mentioned this company Bread. How do you work with them? How do they? How do you get? How do you get this set up? There's a few companies uh, that offer this, but you know you want to pick what's right for you, what you think your customer, how they'll buy. Again, you need to involve your customers. Hey, if you could have bought this via financing, would you do it? Um, you know, PayPal has some financing uh, built in, and. You know, once you determine the rates, you know, for us, we started at six month, 12, 24. We just moved to a 12, uh, 24, 36, uh, cause our biggest package used to be 2000. And now we have just some amazing new products. Packages run up to 5000. So we want to give the people the opportunity to buy that and pay for it over 36 months. And, you know, when you compare that, uh, you know, against a gym membership, you know, you can not only be saving money, you're actually buying something that, you know, is, uh, it's an investment. It's going to be with mm. your whole life. And we even say that our products, you know, you have to leave them in your will. I mean, literally <laughs> our products could last 100, 200 years. So it's uh, not wrong. Nothing goes wrong with 11-gauge steel made in America. So we're pretty proud of that. Nice. And what are the, the downsides, if any, with uh, offering, zero, offering the, the financing? Well, um, you know, we don't really allow the discounts at that level because we're actually paying, uh, you know, bread for that. You know, it's not zero percent. Instead of giving the customer a discount, we need to take that and mm-hmm. actually give bread a little more than that to make it work. Because you know, bread's not going to do it out of the nicest, <laughs> nicest of the heart. Right. So um, it's just part of the process, I guess. Uh, so we just need to consider making sure we can still maintain minimum margins, et cetera. Got it. Now, the, because the sales cycle can last a few weeks and, and one and a couple examples a full year before someone decides to buy, how do you stay on top of mind during that time when they are they've engaged with your product for the first time and are maybe thinking about buying something similar or looking at your competitors? How do you make sure that you are still being considered over those few weeks and sometimes months or maybe even a year? Yeah, it's very simple. Retargeting. Um you know, we were, I don't know if you were aware, we were on Shark Tank, uh, actually mm-hmm. twice now, and uh, which was a great experience. But if somebody offered me today, said, okay, if you could start over, would you choose Shark Tank or would you choose retargeting? I would choose uh, retargeting every time. Mm-hmm. You know, well, Shark Tank was amazing, first class. I mean, we love working with Kevin. We wouldn't want to lose Kevin as a partner. Mm-hmm. But um, the the benefits of retargeting is is, you know, it's, it's indescribable. Um, just how you stay in front of those prospects and how you can reach them in so many different ways and to keep your product top of mind. It's, it's critical. And do you do retargeting through, uh, Facebook or what, what platforms do you use? 
Uh, you name it, we do it. So, um, you know, our largest source of traffic comes organic, uh, Google, uh, we use Critio, um, and we like to do, I'm trying to remember the terminology. It's more of uh, you know, pay by click. So we like the rifle approach rather than the shotgun. Mm-hmm. So we actually, and then, uh, you know, on social, uh, Facebook is massive for us. Um, and, uh, Pit- uh excuse me, Pinterest and, uh, Instagram have really been growing, uh, as well. So pretty much, uh, those, all those aspects. Mm-hmm. And what does the ad look like when, when you are using it for retargeting? Is it just showing the user, the, um, the customer, the visitor, the product they looked at? What, what have you found effective? Yeah. Well, we, um, I don't see everyone. We work with a third party called mm-hmm. social climax media, uh, dot com, uh, out of New York. And this guy is just, he's our right hand. I mean, to hire someone that understands that inside and out is very expensive. So we work with uh, this gentleman named Jefferson, and he's um, he manages, he creates. I mean, we send him photos and everything else, but he helps create the ads. He creates the campaigns. And, you know, based on what people click on, uh, what their interest is, and then we reach out to them in many different aspects, again, from the Facebook to um, just, yeah, different different ads based on uh, wherever they go and what they like to click through. And we, again, you know, you lose that tracking after 30 days, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people make a decision in 30 days. So, you know, we've kind of got that really fine tuned uh, for what works. And so you'll retarget them up until the last possible day. Uh, Even, even ongoing uh, Mm -hmm. beyond that. So um, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, uh, we, we hit that pretty hard. It's a, it's a big, um, it's our largest expense by far is retargeting. But, you know, if you look at some of the metrics and what you're trying to accomplish, um, you know, your return on ad spend, you get somewhere between an eight or a nine. Uh, you know, I personally track percent of spend. Uh, it's great to keep it below 10%, but we've been as high as 15. Uh, it's just good to know those numbers and, you know, build that in, you know, to your, uh, your sale, your SGNA, sales general administrative, making sure that. Uh, you have that money available for it. That's the only way you can grow is just continue to advertise. Mm-hmm. And do you only retarget uh, people that are visiting product pages or have to have, uh, hit the add to cart button or do you retarget everyone, even people that are just visiting the homepage? Yep, everyone. Even uh, you know more proactively in uh, keywords found in Facebook profiles, et cetera, so that haven't even been to our page and it's, yeah, that's our main source of just seeing how people are communicating with each other. And, you know, the world is changing. Email used to be, you know, what we did before our, you know, uh, after hard mail, but email's not effective. You know, even, uh, you know, we have a list somewhere around 30,000 uh, emails, which is great, but our product, people don't come back. We don't have a product that's an annuity or, you know, ongoing product. So they, they buy it once. So we're better off, um, you know, going after them and saying, Hey, tell your neighbors about us. <laughs> so, cause they're not gonna, you know, yeah, we're, we're more likely to get a sale from their neighbor than uh, we are from them again. Right. So you're using, uh, Facebook and other platforms, not just for retargeting, but also I guess what's called like prospecting where you're just trying to reach the customer for the first time. Do you, how do you think about testing those kind of ads? You know, after a certain time, of course, it makes sense to decide, do we keep this running or do we turn it off? How do you think about that, that decision? Well, every time, and really I leave that up to the, you know, social climax media, 
Um, what they do is, so every time we run a campaign, they'll create a couple different versions of it, uh, different wording, different photos, and then we'll also hit different demographics and then interchange those. So we'll just keep hitting it different ways. And then eventually, um, you know, we find out what works or, you know, what has the highest return and then, you know, it allows us to fine tune the next one. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So I want to talk a little about Shark Tank. So you came into the tank uh, seeking, I believe this is the, the first uh, um, appearance, $80,000 for, for 10%. Uh, you mentioned you ended up uh, working with Kevin. Uh, what's that, what's that, what was that experience like getting onto the show? Well, how, first of all, how did you get onto the show? My partner emailed me and said, hey, should we be on Shark Tank? Uh, the auditions are in Miami a day before we're going to be at this, uh, this trade show. And I didn't even call him back. I called Delta and I was like, Hey, uh, how much to change our tickets back 24 hours? And I was expecting, you know, a uh, thousand bucks each or some stupid answer. Cause it was, you know, we were getting, we we're leaving in a week. And when you change a ticket, you basically are buying a new one. And, uh, the guy started searching and I said, yeah, we're trying to get on shark tank. And he goes, Oh, in that case, I'll do it for free. Wow. So, you, know, you know, the whole thing was this. Uh, I don't want to say serendipitous, but so many situations came together for us. I mean, because over 70,000 people applied in, for season seven. And I mean, we're one out of 180 that were flowing out mm-hmm. there. And, um, you know, one out of 120 that aired and one out of 60 that got a deal, one out of 30 that closed. And then I think one out of 10 that actually got a Shark Tank update. So our uh, our ratio was, you know, we're pretty uh, pretty blessed in that whole scenario. Wow, very amazing. So you end up getting a deal with Kevin and basically, you know, it, 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 by working with him, what are some of the, the best business advice that you've gotten from, from working with him? I mean, he, he just throws out the basics, but the most important, you know, blocking and tackling, uh, you know, we're getting ready to launch and he's like, all right, what's your special? I go, what do you mean special? He's like, okay, you're going to have their attention for seven days at the most. I want a Shark Tank special. I want it to end here and do this. And I don't want you to give up more than these margins, you know, just basic things like that, that, but it helps to hear. Um, And, um, you know, it's just nice having around and and actually his business partner is, is very uh, present. And so when we have more strategic advanced meetings, like we're kind of getting into the corporate space right now, uh, he came to this idea that just blew me away. And I mean, that could more than double our business next year. So it's, you know, it's just having someone who's you know, his partner built a three hundred million dollar software business. Uh, Kevin's partner's name is Alex, and it's just great work with Alex and, and the team. A great social uh, media group there as well. Awesome. Um, so I'm looking at your site here, and one thing I've noticed is that you have a in the right hand corner at the bottom. It says uh, "Message us" and opens up uh, Facebook Messenger. Is this something that you've added recently? Yeah, it's a great question, and. Uh, <laughs> Back to my team. Uh, I actually can't answer that one. My marketing manager uh, uh-huh. put that together. Um, I do know that we've had a click to chat feature for a couple of years now, but whether that's a new addition or part of that, mm-hmm. I know we've recently switched vendors, but I can't give you the specifics. So, but if we're doing it, I'm sure there's a reason, mm-hmm. and yeah, I put my trust in my people, and uh, so that's give you more insight on that one. So maybe about live chat in general, what do people usually reach out to ask for or ask about during a live chat session? And you have to realize people hate to talk on the phone. Some people don't like to type. 
And uh, whatever you can do to accommodate everybody's preferences are critical. So allow people to just click a button, have a few words done, give them the quick information that they want. I lost my discount code or, you know, uh, is this coming this color and boom, it's done. So uh, we've got, um, you know, one person really in charge of customer service. She does an amazing job. Um, but other people are backing up at all the time, you know, looking at the chats, making sure that if she's on the phone, they're covering them. And we just try to, you know, minimize our response time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of response time, I'm sure you had a huge influx of traffic and, and sales from the multiple Shark Tank airings. What, what, what were the results of being on national television? The results of national television, um, it's, you know, I got buddies on light up toilet bowls and, uh, you know, filet mignon beef jerky. And, I mean, they can do hundreds of thousands of dollars the night they air. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're now selling a thousand dollar, uh, piece of fitness equipment, people aren't going to make a decision that night. Right. You know, they'll check out your site and I mean, we'll see our traffic spike to, uh, I'm trying to think back. I think we were like 40,000 viewers, our first airing. I mean, it was, it was crazy. You look at our statistics and that's just, it's mind boggling. Um, but, uh, what it did for us is validate us. It's amazing now mm-hmm. just because people see you on TV. Um, it validates you. You know, to me, what I think the newest form of validation is just ratings, whether it's Google ratings, whether it's your ratings on Amazon. Um, just when people see four or five stars, they just know it has to be a great product. But Shark Tank helped that. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. So so nowadays, you know, with uh, the Facebook running and everything, are there other uh, avenues that you're focused on at uh, the marketplace or sorry, not marketplace, other marketing platforms that you guys are exploring and testing for the first time? I mean, we're getting more, I mentioned earlier, we're getting more into the uh, Pinterest and Instagram and, you know, we use Hootsuite and uh, so that way everything is much more um, coordinated, if you will. So mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, mainly, I guess, what we're doing on the marketing aspect of it. Got it. So Hootsuite, are there any other tools and or apps, whether they be for marketing or just general business administration that, that you guys rely on to help run the business? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we, uh, QuickBooks, um, you know, we have some inventory plugins, uh, you know, that are important. Um, we, uh, what else? We use uh, Basecamp for project management. Um, we use Pipedrive uh, to manage the larger corporate accounts. I mean, B2C, you typically don't need a CRM solution, but in more um, into uh, schools, uh, government, uh, corporate. So it's important that you kind of manage those relationships. So having something like Pipedrive is critical. Um, and then on Shopify, um, let's see, we do product review add-ons uh, by Stamped.io. Um, you know, we talked about bread with financing. And then uh, there's a build-your-own package uh, product that we added on that's amazing. And also uh, our store locator as well. So uh, I think uh, that pretty much rounds out our third-party apps and additional mm-hmm. uh, tools that we use. Got it. Now, you mentioned that you are now uh, working with corpor- uh, corporations, schools, and government and selling into them. What's that like? How's that different than your experience so far selling direct-to-consumers? Well, it's great because they'll buy you know 10 systems from you at a time mm-hmm. instead of one. 
typically work with uh, when distributors come to us, you know, work with them and they seem to have a lot of those relationships. And so that's exciting. And then uh, on the corporate side, we actually have a, an app now. It's called uh, PRX Fit. And anybody can go there and download the app and every day a new workout. You don't even need our equipment. It just There's like a body weight workout you can do when you're traveling in a hotel room. Um, or if you have our equipment, then you can choose, you know, hey, do I want to worry about strength or do I, am I looking for endurance? And, and uh, so there's some corporate wellness programs that are very stagnant. And we're actually one of the few companies that can not only come in with a mature uh, app, uh, with uh, dynamic programming, but also the actual equipment that really doesn't take up any space. So if they have a spare office somewhere, they can just throw our equipment in there, throw a TV or kiosk up, or people can use their phones. And, um, you know, the few uh, other tools we have, you have a corporate wellness program in place. Mm. And what made you decide to go that route of creating an app? Um, we actually have a company, I probably should remain nameless, but it's a Fortune 100 company. They came to us and uh, they loved our products. And so um, they wanted to launch uh, initially with 6,000 of their uh, employees just kind of as a test in three of their mm-hmm. offices. And we were obviously happy to help. And so it's been a learning experience for us, too. But, uh, you know, it's a lot, of, a lot of life you have to go after people. But this is one of the cases where they came after us and we've just been responsive and tried to uh, uh, give them everything they need to make it successful because it's a great study. Did you have to build this app in-house? Was it built by the Fortune 500 company? How, how was it done? I've got a I've got a friend who's actually in the business, so we did some white labeling, and that allowed us to uh, you know flip on an app within a few months, and uh, you know work really closely with them to make it so we can also private label it as well. So that's one of those things in life, just a uh, you know, relationship and uh, you know right time, right place. Got it. And your 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 company's role, PRX's role in this, is to also provide the, the content behind the app. Exactly, complete managed services. We have a support uh, plugin we built into that, and uh, we also manage uh, the training, and we film all the content as well, so we can actually show workouts occurring in their facilities. So it's more of a uh, seamless integration, and uh, you know, people learning how to work out. It's a it's a lot more uh, clear, concise, and and uh, gets people going. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you when you have this app, is it how, how does how does it monetize? Is it by well, you can tell me how, how do you monetize an app that you've built that's uh, you know ingrained essentially what it seems like into your business? When you say monetize, more or less, what's our revenue model from uh, launching that out? Yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense, right? You're creating an app with with content that's focused on the 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 that that's attracting that your your target customers. That's sometimes displaying your your product. So it makes a lot of sense. Is it is that the the main goal of the app, or, or are you selling this into uh, corporations as well? How, how does it? What's the revenue model? You bet. Well, really, there's four uh, revenue models in this. I mean, the first one is the free site. It's goodwill. It's getting. It's marketing. It's getting people knowledgeable about PRX, and and our plan is to always offer that. It's just a value add of hey, you buy the best equipment, and you know your coach comes with it. Uh, two is uh, we have a for B 2 C. We have like a dollar a month option where we have uh, Christmas Abbott, who's um, you know 1.4 million followers probably now. Um, she did some programming with us, so you know we kind of work with her to launch that programming. So it provides if somebody wants to take it to the next level, um, she's there. And then uh, the last two are kind of the B2B 
Uh, we can go into just like a simple gym that may have, they call it an orphan rig where there's a big sitting there and no one's using it because they don't have a coach. And, uh, you know, we can put our monitors up and we can provide instant programming uh, that's new for the customers and, and start to get some use out of that rig again. And obviously the uh, uh, four is more of a revenue model of, uh, you know, cost per employee. So, you know, allow, uh, allow us to roll out programs at less than uh, a dollar a month per employee. So, you know, four different revenue models there, really. Very cool. So, prxperformance.com, what are the plans for the next year now? What are, what are you focused on? Well, we definitely own the, uh, the high-end uh, sector, which is great. Um, and, but I think there's a lot of people out there, both domestically and internationally, uh, that are looking for a smaller solution at a more affordable price. So, uh, so given everything away, uh, we should be able to fill that need uh, in this next year. Uh, that, uh, rolling out our barbell collar, um, and also some of these new uh, corporate strategies. Uh, we've got our, got our plate full for uh, 2018. Certainly sounds like it. Thank you so much for your time, Brian. You bet. Really appreciate the opportunity again to talk today. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. As I would give these pitches, I would realize that people got really excited about features that I knew they weren't going to use. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.